Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Hardline, where we take a hard line on Christianity. I'm Jeffrey, Minister and Chaplain with JG Ministries, and today I want to start part one of a short series entitled Death and Eternity. Now, death is a subject that is very uncomfortable to talk about or even want to think about. However, it's a very necessary thing to discuss. What if you were told right now that you were going to die at midnight tonight? What would you do? Would you keep doing what you're doing? Would you change anything? Would you change how you live? More importantly, if you were told that you were going to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Would you go to heaven? Or would you go to hell? You know, there's an old saying that says that there are two certainties in life, which are death and taxes. But that isn't true. Because some millionaires have managed to avoid paying taxes for years with the right deductions and etc. But there is a certainty that rich people and even poor people are going to ultimately face. The ultimate certainty of death. How many church services or ministers have ever talked about this subject? I grew up in the church and growing up I can't remember a time that any minister spoke on the subject of death. And I think not to do so is to serve a grave injustice. One of the problems is that we live in a death-denying society. Even the language and the atmosphere of many funerals will deny the fact of death. Society has adopted terminology such as, well, the person hasn't died, he's only departed, or they just passed on. And you hear the claim that everyone goes to heaven. There are many today, and more than I like to say, that have the thought that all Good people go to heaven. Well, I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to give a very unpopular statement, and that is this. Good people don't go to heaven. Heaven is not going to be filled with good people. Now, I know that sounds shocking, especially since it goes against popular societal beliefs, but... We live in a society where many are searching for a way to even cheat death. We have companies and industries that spend billions of dollars every year for creams and for lotions, for Botox that promises to slow down the aging process and make us look younger. We have advertisers that make claims that Certain foods will help you to live longer and even slow down the aging process. We have way too many professionals that promote exercise and using different wellness products that will reduce your chances for heart disease and cancers, all in the hopes of living longer. Now, although some of these practices are good, it's good to watch your health, eat right, but it doesn't eliminate the fact that one day, a person, you, 
will die. Now, in reality, none of us know the day or the hour of our death, so the best thing to do is to be prepared, as the old Boy Scout motto says. We have statistics that are quite impressive on this because of people who have died. But how can we deal with death and deal with tragedy? How we deal with death and tragedy says a lot about what kind of people we are. But there's always this question, why must we die? Well, the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. Hebrews 9, verse 27. It is the most democratic of all experiences that we have. Death is a universal enemy. And saying, I don't want to think about it, is not going to keep it from happening. We want to deny death. We cover up the uncomfortableness that we have with this subject by speaking of a deceased person as if they didn't die. We say things like, he departed this life, he passed away, he's gone up to a better place. The fact that the body is now in the ground and the soul of this, the, this deceased person has departed is more than we want to think about or even to admit. And today we're confronted with so many voices that are telling us how to live. We're told what to think, how to think. We're told how to look young, how to stay slim and trim and to keep healthy, how to have a good image, how to think positively on everything, make more money, have more friends. Now, these aren't necessarily unreasonable ambitions, but they indicate that we're trying desperately to cling to this present world. The truth is, this life is transitory. If we want to make the most of life, we need to face the fact that it's going to end. And only those people who are prepared to die are the only ones really prepared to live. The uncertainty isn't the dying. It's the preparation. But we have to face the reality. If we're in a battle with this enemy called death, I believe we should learn about it in order to know how to confront this dying experience. We need to know how to face that enemy of death on our own behalf and how to deal with the inevitable deaths of our loved ones and our friends. Death is the common lot of every human being and of every other living thing, both plants and animals. So we can't afford to ignore the warnings of our ultimate enemy. We need to break the conspiracy of silence about the subject with a biblically sound, realistic approach. Now, while death wasn't a part of God's original plan, we can't escape it now. Even though death is the last enemy, as Paul claimed, we don't need to fear it. Why is the enemy death? Why is it an enemy of God? Because it destroys life. It's in contrast to God, our creator, and our author of life. 
The Bible tells us that neither sin nor pain, disease nor death, were part of God's original plan for man. See, death was the penalty for sin, and Adam and Eve made the choice of their own free wills. When they didn't obey God, God told them that if they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. But see, the devil scoffed at God's warning, and he told them, Oh, surely you won't die. See, Adam and Eve chose to ignore God's warning. They chose to believe Satan's lies. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible stresses that death is an enemy. It's not a friend of ours. It is an enemy of God, and it's an enemy of us. The Bible says that sin and death have afflicted the whole of God's creation, including the natural world. And only when Christ comes in His glory at the end of the present era will sin finally be eradicated, and creation will be restored to God's original plan. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 21 tells us that the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Today, especially today, there are many different perspectives about death. There are some that defy death. Some laugh at it. Some say they don't believe in death. Others have a fatalistic attitude towards death or reject it altogether, claiming we shouldn't worry about it because there is no life after death and there's nothing we can do about death. Then we have others who... They live in a constant and paralyzing fear of death because they have no security. They have no assurance of God's love, no assurance of his protection in the midst of their death. Their lives are preoccupied with fear and it often filled with attempts to win God's favor, maybe try and avoid his anger. But Christians... We're not immune to the fear of death either. Death isn't always a beautiful release, but an enemy that separates. Death doesn't show respect to the young or to the old. Doesn't show respect to good or evil. Doesn't show respect to the Christian or the atheist. Our experiences are similar and often shared by those around us. But we don't have to give way to defiance, We don't have to give way to rejection or fear or any of the other attitudes that people adapt or adopt in the face of the reality of death. See, because there's another way, the way of Christ, by which we know that while the experience of death is certain, so is also the fact of heaven. For the Christian death can be faced realistically. It can be faced with victory because We know that neither death nor life, neither angels, not demons, neither the present 
nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. And it's not a sign of weak faith for the Christian to face death with a little reluctance. Even Paul confessed that he was torn between the desire to die and to be with Christ and the need to continue his work in the churches. He stated that in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. But can we be realistic without being morbid? Can we find peace and assurance? Can we find triumph and even humor in a subject which is avoided by so many? But it's vitally important and it's even inevitable to everyone? Well, yes, we can. How unfortunate it is when Jesus is depicted to children as the person who took mommy or daddy without the child having any kind of a previous understanding of the hope of heaven, any understanding of eternal life. As attitudes towards death and dying have changed, there's been another significant shift that began to take place within the human family. The reality of Satan. This reality of Satan was ignored or even discarded as a myth. How many remember a preacher ever preaching about Satan? If Satan was mentioned, it was very little or in light of passiveness. Even many who believed in a personal devil were not allowed to acknowledge his power in this world, nor did they believe in hell. Today in our society, we are seeing this by leaps and bounds. In fact, it's, we're seeing the glorification of Satan. We're seeing people being more open about Satan. But it's not positive. They're trying to make it a fun thing. They're trying to make it positive. But there's nothing fun or positive about Satan. The devil is full of evil. He cares nothing for you. And he only wants to destroy you. Hell in the eyes of the unbelievers, and even some believers, was abandoned. Or it was regulated to some vague concept of evil in the world. Even some theologians chose to reject the Bible's clear teaching on hell. And certainly war and hunger, terrorism, greed, and hatred are hell on earth. But except for the Bible believer, a future hell became part of the ash heap of the ancient history as we know it. As hell has become for so many no more than a swear word, Sin has also been an accepted way of life. And that life has been glorified on TV, the news, celebrities, celebrities in the movies, our TV shows. They've made movies. So people began to look to science. They started to look to education, even social and moral programs, as possible solution to this growing chaos of the insane world. If people can ignore what the Bible calls sin, 
Well, then they can quite logically discount what it says about the reality of hell. Whoever chooses to deny that there is a hell must then face certain questions. Where do I go when I die? Who goes to heaven and who doesn't? And if I don't go to heaven, what is the alternative? In society, hell is not a popular subject either. There was a survey that was done back in 2001. It showed that 71% of the general population of the United States said they believe in hell. Now, this percentage goes down dramatically among people with a college education. And just prior in 2000, 81% of American teenagers believed in a day of judgment when God will send people either to heaven or hell. But what about heaven? In that same survey, it showed 83% of the general population said they believe in a heaven where people have led good lives or eternally rewarded. More people are confident that there is a heaven than they are concerned about there being a hell. And what I find completely astonishing is that even among people who have made a personal commitment to Christ, 10% do not know what will happen to them after they die. And 2% do not believe that when they die, they will go to heaven. So this begs the question of why do members of organized churches or those that profess Christianity have such a low assurance of heaven? Could it be that in our descriptions of heaven, we have failed to mention the horrors of the alternative? Have we overreacted to the old hellfire and brimstone preaching that was discarded or at least for the most part watered down the clear teaching of the Bible? Jesus spoke of hell as darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Chapter 8, verse 12 of the book of Matthew. Jesus used the strongest words possible to describe the horrors of hell. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Or have we even neglected the whole question of life after death by emphasizing only this life? I think the answer that some of the reasons why more people believe in heaven than in hell is Hell is like death. People try not to think about it. Just because people don't believe in hell, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can deny Satan all you want, but he exists. Can't get away from it. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus warned, Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That one is our Lord. If there is no hell, then Jesus lied. Some people believe in the passages in the Bible about heaven utterly reject the references to hell. But I'm going to tell you a true hard fact. Jesus did not lie. He is incapable of lying. A lot of people talk about hell. They'll use it to tell others where to go. But they don't want to be confronted with the thought that it might be their destination. I think a lot of people don't understand the reality of what hell is. Hell for them is only where people like Hitler or Stalin end up. 
along with murderers and rapists and child molesters. Most people think that good people who mind their own business, they pay their taxes, give to charities, even volunteer for good causes, those are the ones that they think are going to go to heaven and have some kind of eternal reward. But the Bible is very clear on who goes to heaven. We know that there is abundant life after death for the followers of Christ. Those who have accepted His grace that have been saved will be with Christ in heaven. Now what about the other people? Because surely a loving God wouldn't punish good people. Well, that's what society wants to tell us. They want to tell the, to the people who want to ignore the uncomfortable, unpopular descriptions of hell that's described in the Bible. But they are right in some ways. For a loving God does not want anyone to perish. The Lord isn't slow in keeping His promises because He is patient with us. And He doesn't want anyone to perish, but He wants everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. But however, the bold truth of the matter is this. Not all people will go to heaven when they die. Jesus told his disciples not to feel a fear the killers of men because they only cause physical death. He didn't mean that we're not to be concerned about murderers, of course. But Jesus' point was a warning of something more serious than the death of our bodies. Jesus said, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. He says that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 5. This passage refers to God, not Satan. For Satan, he can't determine the destiny of a human soul. Only God can do that. And I know many people stumble over the idea of fearing God. Fear does not imply a crippling dread, but a healthy, reverent respect. All through the Bible, we read about fearing the Lord. But if we substitute have deep reverence for, we may be closer to understanding the meaning of the word. The problem isn't that hell exists, because it does, and it must, if God is holy and if we distinguish between the biblical meaning of good and evil. The problem is that men don't understand how evil sin is in the eyes of supremely holy God. Sin is not rated on a scale or a report card. Sin is eternal separation from God and can only be pardoned by a truly supreme sacrifice. And that sacrifice was the death of the Son of God on the cross. Jesus Christ willingly died for you on that cross for your sins. That's the only cure. The Bible proves there is life after death. And the biblical explanation of death is extremely clear. Each man dies once. And there are two possible results and two possible destinations. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, the Bible tells us what death is. Physical separation of the spirit 
and the soul from the body. The body without the spirit is dead. But there is a far worse death, and that is a spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. Death is a reality and is still the ultimate event that we all must face. It's important more than ever for Christians to get involved in some of the great questions about the process of dying. The Bible has the answers. The Bible has the answer to the fear of death, but we also need to understand and we need to apply the principles in God's word about the dying experience. And that time to understand is now. We are seeing in the news more and more and more unexpected deaths all the time. And we need the wisdom of God to live our complicated lives and even more so for the in, this in, inevitable conclusion. Now sometimes the fear of death grows significantly with age and understandably so. In the book of Matthew chapter 8 verse 25, Jesus' disciples were rugged men. They were physically tough by living outdoors and they would travel long distances on foot. But yet when they were caught in a sudden storm, which was so common in the area of Galilee, they cried out in desperate fear, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. They were terrified that they were going to die. Now, fear can be defined as an emotion that speaks of dread, fright, alarm, panic, trepidation, and even consternation. All human beings can have these emotions, and they do. Fear is universal in all times and in all places. It's a normal human response to the unknown, especially death. Because the experience of death is unknown. There's an old story that says a sick man turned to his doctor, and as he was leaving the room after paying a visit, he said to the doctor, I'm afraid to die. Tell me what lies on the other side. Well, very quietly, the doctor said, I don't know. And the man shocked. He says, you, you don't know? You're a Christian man. You don't know what's on the other side? The doctor was holding a handle of the door. And on the other side, which came a sound of scratching and whining, he opened the door and a dog sprang into the room and leaped on him with an eagerness, an eager showness of gladness. And the doctor turned to the patient and he said, Did you notice my dog? My dog's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside. He didn't know anything except that his master was here. And when the door opened, he sprang in without fear. Now I know very little what's on the other side of death. But I do know one thing. I know my master is there. And that is enough. And when the door opens, I shall pass through with no fear but with gladness. You see, the truth is that all of us have our time to die. And by being silent on the subject creates an unnecessary fear in our lives. Some believe that telling the truth to a person who may be dying is destructive to his morale. Well, this is called a conspiracy of silence. And it's based upon the assumption that 
People don't want to think about death, especially their own. It isn't death itself that frightens us so much as it is the process of dying. But studies have shown that most people are willing to think and even talk about dying, even though they may be frightened by the idea. What people need is honesty. What they need is love. They don't need forced cheerfulness. All that is is misleading. There's a fine line between hope and compassionate honesty. And only the wisdom of God can guide us in these moments like that. The fear of death isn't universal because there are many factors involved, such as age, physical health, family, social, your religious background. There is a peace of mind that is gained through faith, even when the vigors of life is somewhat diminished. The challenge we have as believers is to do our best to ensure that the afterlife in which so many put their trust in is the genuine article and not a false front. Many of the experiences in life we fear is because of the anticipation. And when we actually encounter them, they will lose much of their terror. Thank you for listening to part one of Death and Eternity. Be sure to join me again as we continue with part two. We'll start talking about some common attitudes towards death. So until next time, God bless you. And keep living Christian strong.